Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today we're giving you uh, an episode that combines two important topics. One, a listener request to talk more about tattoos. And two, an episode honoring the fact that it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so in that vein, Kristen and I are going to give you a rundown of mastectomy tattoos and how women have totally reclaimed the tattoo and their bodies in an effort to sort of redefine themselves after going through such a traumatic experience. Yeah, and if you want to know more details just about the history of tattoos... We did do a Stuff Mom Never Told You podcast solely focused on tattoos a while back, which you can find in our podcast archive over at StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. But we will give you a quick historical primer on women and tattoos. And not surprisingly, as you probably assumed, humans have been tattooing themselves (laughs) for a very, very, very very long time. That's right. As most things do on the podcast, Kristen, this goes back to the ancient Middle East. Um, in March, scientists actually found a tattoo on the mummified remains of a woman who lived in a Christian community in Sudan 1,300 years ago. And she was just one example of a person from that era tattooing a religious symbol on themselves or, you know, somebody else probably did it to her honestly, um, to both signify their faith and also to invoke the particular saint whose symbol they tattooed on themselves. And in case people are wondering, that 1,300-year-old tattoo was an ancient Greek symbol for the archangel Michael on her inner thigh. Mm. Well, 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 well. And reading about that ancient tattoo and the fact that so many tattoos have been found on mummies from that era, what I thought was so interesting was that there is a gender divide even back then, but it's not the gender divide you think. There weren't a bunch of tatted up pharaohs necessarily. A lot of the tattoos and the evidence of tattoos that have has been found have been found on women. So, for instance, at this site on the River Nile in Egypt, uh, there were all of these tattooed mummies of women who also had those thigh tattoos, but their thigh tattoos symbolized the god Bess, who was associated with music and dance. So archaeologists thought that perhaps they might have been dancers or musicians. And there was also some implicit eroticism symbolized by Bess, which jumped out to me, too, because even though I feel like this line of thinking is fading as tattoos become more and more conventional, for women being tattooed for a long time, it did seem to hold sort of, uh, or at least people would make sexy assumptions about women with tattoos. Yeah, it's interesting as you move through history, 
um, the the ups and downs, the peaks and valleys of our perceptions of women with tattoos. Um, because, for instance, in the 19th century, it was totally an upper class fad to be uh, a, an elite lady who has a small tattoo in some place that could easily be hidden. But by the early 20th century, tattoos were totally stigmatized, especially among women who were considered loose if you could see their tattoos. But also in the early 20th century, there were a number of women who were not only covered in tattoos, but were also tattoo artists. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite figures from that time is a woman named Maud Wagner. And you can Google image her name to see a portrait of her showing off all of her like full body tattoos, not on her face, but neck down tattoos that she has. And this was in the early 1900s. And she actually traded a date with this guy, Gus Wagner, who became her husband, who was a tattoo artist. She traded a date with him for a tattoo. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I just love that kind of stuff. I and mean, then like, it became a love match. Exactly. Hmm. Well, he uh, he surreptitiously just tattooed his name on her arms. He was like, well, now you're going to marry me. Okay, I made that part up. <laughs> But certainly, the sight of a woman like Maud Wagner with full sleeves and a chest covered in tattoos would have stood out in public. Even at this time, she would not have been considered uh, an everyday kind of woman. Right. And in the 1920s, basically, if you had that many tattoos, you were probably employed by a freak show or a circus where you, as a tattooed lady, could make a lot more money than men could with all their tattoos because it would be a combo of sexy lady peep show coupled with, whoa, she's a freak. She's covered in tattoos. And this is also a good time to remind people, Caroline, that we did entire podcasts as well. On women and freak shows. Mm-hmm, that's right. Listen to, um, but also around the same time, there is still clearly that sexual stigma attached to women with tattoos. Even just one tattoo, for instance, in the late 1920s, a prosecutor in a rape case requested that the whole case be dropped when he found out that the woman who had been raped had a tattoo because uh, and the judge ended up releasing the men they had arrested in connection with the rape because they said, oh, well, she had a butterfly on her leg. So naturally, they just kind of mistook her for a prostitute or someone who wouldn't mind being non-consensually violated. Right. Basically saying that they were invited by the visible tattoo. Um, Moving into World War II, tattoos fall even more out of favor because of the horrible connotation and connection with the Holocaust and concentration camps. But when you move past World War II and the post-war period and into the 1970s, the popularity of tattoos definitely starts to rebound because women are shedding that whole connotation that tattoos equal being promiscuous. Although during this time, it's definitely still linked to being part of the counterculture. Yeah, and now it's becoming more and more normal. There was uh, one tattoo scholar that we were reading who was talking about how tattoos have become completely middle class. Obviously, you're not a freak show if you have uh, you know, full sleeves or if you're mm-hmm. a woman with lots and lots of tattoos, nor is it something that if you are a wealthy person, you have some kind of secret tattoo as well. Although maybe you do. 
But it's like not a big deal. It wouldn't be like a huge surprise. It's more accessory than anything at this point. I feel like if you go on Pinterest and look at tattoos, there's like a bajillion different pin boards about just like those really skinny, like I feel like a lot of people are getting like bows and arrows or like arrows tattooed on themselves, like very skinny, very artistic sketch like tattoos, which is cool. I'm not like judging. I'm just saying that like the fact that. They're on Pinterest, I think says a lot. Well, and also the fact that they're on Pinterest, and as we've talked about in our episode on Pinterest, I'm basically just promoting all of our <laughs> podcasts right. in this podcast. I'm getting a little podcast meta here. Um, it, since Pinterest is overwhelmingly women, it's appropriate that there are so many tattoo pin boards because more women now in the U.S., have tattoos than men. And that started for the first time in 2012 with 23% of women having tattoos versus 19% of men. And that's compared to in 2003 when only 15% of women had tattoos compared to 16% of men. So all of us are getting more ink, but more women are getting more ink than men. And we're also getting more removed. 69% of tattoo removal requests are from women, according to a survey from the Archives of Dermatology. And most of these women are getting inked around age 20. So you're you're in college, you're feeling good, you're liberated, you're going to get some tattoos. So now I have to ask you the question a lot of podcast listeners want to know, Caroline. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tattoos? I sure don't. I'm not against them. I've thought a lot about getting one. I just don't know what I would get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I know you do. Yes, and I think a lot of listeners know that I do as well because I've posted the a picture of the anchor that I have tattooed on my left wrist on our Instagram. If you want to follow us there and check it out, and I also have a boat tattoo as well. And I really want I lately, Caroline, the yeah. past few months, and this podcast has only fueled my fire even more. Mm-hmm. I want some new ink. Yeah? Yeah. What are you thinking? Still the nautical thing or like something different? I'm thinking full back piece portrait of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> Love it. You know? And and I'll just get her collar tattooed around my <gasps> neck. A tattoo jabot? Yes. Oh, man, that'd be amazing. Don't worry, listeners. I'm not actually going to get that portrait. Although I did <laughs> look around the Internet to see if anyone had gotten a notorious RBG tattoo. Haven't found one yet. Hmm. I'm surprised. So, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll just need our listeners who inevitably do have Ruth Bader Ginsburg tattoos to send us pictures. Yeah, if you know anyone who does, please let me know. But the whole purpose behind tattoos, while it is becoming like such a common, normal, middle class aesthetic choice, there is a reason behind doing it that surpasses just aesthetics. It's past just the cool factor. Uh, Michael Atkinson, who's done a lot of tattoo research and he's, is the author of Tattooed, the sociogenesis of a body art, talks about the reasons behind tattoos in general. He says that basically this body art and the tattooing experience give young people feelings of greater control and authority over their own lives. And I thought that was important to, to pull out and point out because it will tie in, as we get through this episode, tie in so closely to why women who have experienced breast cancer and mastectomies 
it's the reasons that they give for a lot of the tattoos that they get. And Millian King and Catherine Jones, in their chapter, Why Do People Get Tattoos? in the book, Understanding Deviance, Connecting Classical and Contemporary Perspectives, looked at women in particular and also found this theme of control. They wrote, tattooing offers many women control over their own bodies. Some have used the tattoo to challenge the limited roles of wife and mother and to explore other ways to define themselves. And this next part that they talk about will tie in so much, too, with mastectomy tattoos. Uh, King and Jones describe how the process of women getting tattoos also, for some, helps them feel like they're reclaiming lost or violated parts of themselves. And it's an especially important process, they write, for women healing from abuse or trauma. And uh, Margot Mifflin actually wrote the book on women and tattoos, which if you are a woman who has written us asking us to talk about tattoos, I highly recommend you check out her book, which was just republished actually in 2013, called Bodies of Subversion, A Secret History of Women and the Tattoo. And she writes that before she got started working on this book about tattoos, and side note, she doesn't have any tattoos, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. She says, I saw that tattooing was an amazing barometer of women's dreams and fears and passions at that time, a period when body issues were at a peak of controversy at the end of the culture wars. And it made me wonder what women's tattoos revealed about themselves going back to the 19th century when European and American women started getting inked. So clearly people have made the connection between sort of what's going on in your life and your mental and emotional space and what's going on on your body when you get inked. Absolutely. And I can just speak from personal experience that both of my tattoos did feel empowering when mm-hmm. I was doing it. They also felt very painful, but they also felt empowering because I, I can totally empathize with that sense of claiming your body in a new kind of way. And we're going to talk more about that when it comes to post-mastectomy tattoos. We come right back from a quick break. And now, back to the show. So one way that some women are finding those deeper meanings in tattoos and that process of reclaiming their body and, and finding personal empowerment through tattoos is for women who are getting tattoos post mastectomy. And we're not just talking about in this case, a tattoo somewhere on your body commemorating beating cancer, which is also very common, but actually getting tattoos as alternatives to getting reconstructive surgery or breast implants. Yeah, this was discussed in Miss Magazine in 1992 by writer Andre Connors, um, who talks about breast cancer itself being an invisible epidemic. She says, everyone looks quote unquote normal because they're wearing prosthesis. So the message does not get across to the world that we are being killed off by breast cancer. And the reason we quote her is because Connors herself has a rose tattoo over her mastectomy scar. And so this is definitely another option for women and another way to reclaim your body after the trauma of cancer and surgery, radiation, chemotherapy. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see that she was saying that in 1992 Fast forward to now, not too long afterwards, where there's so much awareness surrounding breast cancer, but 
a lot of times the assumption is that if you have a mastectomy, the primary choice for women is implants. And there was actually a paper about this in the journal Social Semiotics by Shelley Cobb and Susan Starr in February 2012. And it talked about how the fact that implants are often the uh, sort of framed as like the only choice. It's like, are you going to get new breasts or not get new breasts? That it plays into what they call a makeover culture of this dominant idea that if you are a woman without breasts, then you aren't fully a woman. Right. And and that something as important and earth shattering as going through cancer and losing your breasts, that it's somehow instead of being framed as the important thing that it is, the important mile marker in your life that it is, it's framed as like, hey, you can get a new chest. Yeah, you can you can finally be a D cup that you've always wanted to be. Right, exactly. But, you know, I mean, that's not obviously to put down anyone who has gone through reconstructive surgery or has opted for implants because, I mean, as should be obvious from our podcast before, body image. We know body image is a huge deal, especially after going through trauma. And there was a study in or a paper in the British Journal of Health Psychology in 2010 that talks about the mastectomy itself provoking a painful experience of what they call body deconstruction. Basically, something that's been a part of you that might have been a part of your life as a mother, as a wife, as someone who's both a caregiver and a sexual being suddenly being taken from you and what that means for your own body image and having to go through all of those physical, emotional, social, symbolic hurdles afterward. Yeah, and the women that they talked to who had undergone mastectomies, either a single mastectomy or a double mastectomy, use a lot of similar language to describe what they often called a a feeling of being mutilated, Mm -hmm. of being kind of estranged from their own body, and um, also having to deal with how it affected their relationships with their partners Mm -hmm. and their relationships with their children, and driving home the point that it's obviously not so simple as well, you can just you can just get these new ones, but it's not quite you know it's not the same, right? That basically talking about the identity crisis that can occur after going through such trauma. Um, but in terms of getting a mastectomy tattoo, tying all of this together, um, one fascinating figure in this whole discussion is Inga Duncan Thornell who underwent a preventive double mastectomy in 1993 after her stepmother died of breast cancer and her mother received her own breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah, Thornell talks about how she'd already been through so much physical pain, didn't want to deal with another surgery, didn't like the idea of implants on a personal level, and so she got this tattoo that took, what, two or three years to complete, and it's literally a chest piece. It looks like... Almost um, a plate of armor, like a crop top in a way, that comes down to her ribs and covers her entire chest. And it's interwoven with flowers and all sorts of colors. And it's beautiful. And you've probably seen it because it, for instance, has been featured in an MSNBC documentary. It's featured in Mifflin's book, uh, Bodies of Subversion, A Secret History of Women and the Tattoo that we mentioned earlier. And it's also been widely shared on Facebook. 
Although initially, Facebook tried to take it down a couple times. Yeah, basically saying that the picture or of Thornell's tattooed chest violated their nudity policy, which is sort of confusing, considering that by having her breasts and nipples removed and then having a beautiful colored tattoo placed over her chest, she would literally be displaying less than a shirtless man would be displaying in the picture. But it did get put back up, especially after a campaign by Ontario Tattoo Shop Custom Tattoo Design, who kept reposting it and asking their followers to repost the tattoo picture as well. Yeah, and we've even, it's been a while uh, as of this recording, and we'll probably repost it again once this episode comes out. Uh, I know we posted it a while back, mm-hmm. and it got a, you know, a ton of people liking it and sharing it. And, um, as of one article that we read for this podcast, it had been liked over 400,000 times. I mean, I think just because it is such a symbol of being a cancer survivor and that reclamation of, of this woman's body. Yeah, and what is even better to hear is Thornell's own reaction to this whole thing. Uh, she was talking to Today.com and said, I think it's a neat option. You step out of the shower and you look like yourself. You don't look scarred. I understand why women would reconstruct and totally respect their decision to do that to be more normal. But the thought of having more surgery, more discomfort, didn't appeal to me at all. And so I love that idea of, I feel more like like myself. I have chosen to do this. I have used, you know, not that she's saying this, but I have used all of this uh, cultural idea of reclaiming my body through tattoos to reclaim this space. Yeah. And she's inspired a lot of other women to consider that option as well. And now there are also plenty of women who, after a mastectomy, choose to get implants, get reconstructive surgery, but might still get tattoos in place of nipples because, and this was something that I had not really considered at all before reading about this in depth. When it comes to getting these breasts, unlike just getting, if you or I were to walk into a plastic surgeon's office and get a breast implant, we would keep our nipples. But Mm -hmm. obviously when it comes to mastectomies, you lose your breasts, you also lose your nipples. So for women who don't want a fake nipple, which is always erect and doesn't have sensation. Some women opt for tattoos over there, the, the area where a nipple would go. Right. And I, I loved reading about the options that women go for who opt for this particular type of tattoo. And I didn't realize that a lot of women tend to opt for flowers like a lotus blossom, which has a lot of symbolism in terms of rebirth, regrowth, re- being renewed. Also things like morning glories, butterflies and birds. And I also enjoyed reading about the growing popularity of this movement to the point where there's now an annual event in New York that connects survivors with tattoo artists. And the group is called Pink, which is P. 
dot I-N-K for personal ink. And it was founded by this guy, Noel Franis, who's an ad agency executive whose sister-in-law opted for a tattoo after her breast reconstruction. And in 2013, this whole Pink Day event ended up connecting 10 survivors and artists. And while the women who fly to New York cover their own travel expenses, the artist fees are covered by a crowdfunding campaign. And so that's like that's where we are. We've gone from tattoos being a sign that you're a promiscuous, loose, dangerous woman to women using tattoos to reclaim it, reclaim their bodies and their space for themselves, to now women who opt for uh, reconstructive surgery, they can have a beautiful flower tattoo to reclaim their bodies after surgery. Well, and one other kind of tattoo that probably happens even more often for women who have had mastectomies who opt for implants afterwards is getting tattoos of actual nipples. And this isn't new at all, but more people are doing them, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. Um, and they talk about how, you know, the nipple areola complex tattoos, as they call him, them, have been a part of breast reconstruction for a long time, uh, especially for some women, for instance, who have just undergone radiation therapy or just don't want another surgical procedure to reconstruct the nipple because by the time you get down to the nipple, to this final step in the process, they've already been in so many doctor's offices. They've already undergone so many invasive surgeries. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, this is the one last thing with getting the nipples tattooed, but not all nipple tattoos are created equally. And this might sound to some listeners like, a kooky thing that we're talking about, nipple tattoos of nipples. Why, why does that matter? Well, it matters a lot when women are looking at their chests in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Right. And and this is something that we referenced earlier in the in the podcast about, you know, your whole personal identity and your sexuality can be tied up in your breasts because of not only the meaning that you impart to them yourself, but the meaning that society places on them or your partner or spouse. And so to look at yourself post-surgery, post-trauma, and basically just see a blank space there, it is it is jarring. And so plastic surgeons have traditionally performed uh, nipple tattoos in office, and the, the terrible thing about these tattoos, though, that are performed in office by plastic surgeons, adding insult to injury, is that they're not even done using a, like a traditional professional tattoo technique. They're, the quality is not as good. The actual imagery is not as good. If you have dark skin, you might end up with a light pink or peach nipple. Basically, like, things just don't match. And so after you've been through this traumatic experience, this long health ordeal, you end up with a nipple that doesn't even make sense on your body. Yeah, and that's why there's this tattoo artist in Fredericksburg, Maryland, Vinnie Myers, who has become known as the Michelangelo of mastectomy tattoos because using his expertise as a tattoo artist, unlike you know just being a surgeon or a nurse in a surgeon's office doing this sort of tattoo work. He actually takes the time matching it to different skin tones, making sure the positioning is correct, making sure the size is proportional to the breast. And because of that, he is in high demand. I think he has a six or eight month waiting list at his 
tiny shop in Fredericksburg. Yeah, Michelle Cottle wrote about this for the Washingtonian and for the New York Times because she herself ended up going to Meyer. She had breast cancer and had a mastectomy and she opted for reconstructive surgery and wanted nipples that looked like real nipples. Imagine that. Um, and she talks about the whole process of how skilled he is and the fact that he takes the time to match colors to your skin tone and um, he he really gets into it very passionately talking to Cottle about the women that he sees that he, he almost has to play psychologist or counselor to them and how heartbreaking it is for him to see women of different skin tones, ages, etc, etc who have these awful tattoo jobs done by plastic surgeons and he's sort of gotten on a campaign to convince doctors like I'm not trying to take your business I'm just saying that maybe you should either do a better job or send your patients to a professional tattoo artist to help them reestablish their identity post-surgery right because it's so much a part of all of the stuff that we were talking about from that um, British Journal of Psychology paper about that feeling, you know, the, the psychological, the psychological impact of mastectomies in terms of your body going through this complete transformation. And then the very last step in it is just a botched tattoo. Like how, like that can only add even more psychological toll to it. Right. And so women from all over the world, more than 5,000 women have ended up traveling to see Myers in his little storefront. To the point where he was like, I don't know, should I move into a new space and make it more clinical and clean and white and sparkling looking? And all the women were like, no, I have been in enough doctor's offices. I want to feel like a person. I want to feel like a regular human being and come into a frickin tattoo shop and get some new nipples. And now to get yourself one new nipple would cost you about $600 from Myers, whereas getting two nipple tattoos will run you about $800. And the great thing is that some insurance companies do actually reimburse patients for these procedures, but a lot still refuse to pay because tattoo artists like Vinnie Myers are not licensed healthcare providers. And so he is working, I think, with some surgeons to sort of fill in that gap because obviously one man cannot do the job of all of the you know post-mastectomy needs in the United States and even around the world because he has international clients as well at this point. But it's so important, I mean, thinking about, I can't remember, Caroline, if it was Cottle or someone she interviewed for these articles that she wrote talking about how the first time they saw their breasts post-tattoo, they started crying because they felt like they had reclaimed their body. Right, and I think that was the same woman who talked about how her husband hadn't even looked at her since she had had a mastectomy. Um, and I, I just think Myers is such an interesting figure and advocate because, you know, he did get a start as like a, a quote-unquote normal tattoo artist back in the day, and now he says things like, uh, I really ought to write a book because so many times I hear women complaining about their doctors or the way they weren't informed about what was available to them until it was too late and they'd already had their surgery. Basically, this tattoo artist from Maryland is now an advocate for breast cancer survivors who feel bullied by their doctors or their surgeons or whoever into getting something, whether it is reconstructive surgery with implants or whether it is a nipple tattoo in done in office. And so... I just think it's great that there is someone like Myers who is so vocal about 
giving women options after surgery. And when his daughter graduates from art school, she is going to learn nipple tattooing as well to join him in this very niche service that he sort of stumbled into. And I, I think the the really cool takeaway from learning about these mastectomy tattoos is that whether you get the implants and want to get the nipple tattoo, whatever it is, like, or if you just want to just get the post-mastectomy tattoo, no implants involved, it at least just offers a new and broader choice for women in terms of how they want to deal and manage and love their bodies post-breast cancer. Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's some super powerful stuff. It's so interesting to read about something like tattoos, which generally I think still larger society brushes off as like, uh, whatever, tattoos, who cares? But it is such a powerful way to connect emotionally with something or someone and reclaim a part of yourself. Well, and it's so common, too, for... I mean, for tattoos to be commemorative of cancer in one way or another, whether it's someone who's beaten another form of cancer, not breast cancer, or in memoriam or in recognition of someone who has died from cancer or who has also survived cancer. So it's really cool to see that kind of relationship between the two. And I mean, I'm biased. I'm a fan of tattoos. Yeah. So and these are the cool kinds of tattoos in my mind to get. These are not the kinds that you'll probably be, you know, heading to get removed because you were 20 years old and thought it might have been a good idea to get that dolphin on your back. So now we want to hear from listeners. Are there any listeners out there who have gotten mastectomy tattoos. We would love to hear from you. And if you're comfortable sharing a photo, we'd love to see them as well. And for people who are just interested in seeing uh, what these look like, you can head over to Pinterest. There are a ton of breast cancer-related tattoos, including these kinds of mastectomy tattoos we've been talking about in this podcast. Um, and send us... Your thoughts, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is where you can reach us. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast and message us on Facebook. And we have a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to the show. Okay, well, I have a letter here from Angela about our daddy issues episode. She says, I think it's so funny that the popular assumption is that feminists must have daddy issues because the biggest reason I'm a feminist is my dad. My mom was very feminine and ladylike, and my sister followed in her footsteps while I was more of a tomboy who imitated my dad. He really reinforced the idea to my sister and me that we should be independent, self-sufficient, and generally able to care for ourselves without the assistance of a man or anyone else. He always told me that looks, while important for functioning within society, should not be the end-all, be-all of my existence, and generously littered my toy box with comic books, educational toys, books, monsters, and Barbies. I love you guys, and keep up the good work. And you keep up your good work, Angela. Thanks for the letter. Well, I've got one here from Patrick, also about our Daddy's Girl episode. He writes... I'm a semi-new listener and glad I listened since it seems like all How Stuff Works podcasts are top-notch. The female perspective is always welcoming to me as well. But anyway, I just listened to your newest episode about Daddy's Girls and it made me think about the sex talk with my daughter. She's definitely a daddy's girl, but I'm scared to death about it, especially being a single dad. And it's funny because I'm one of the more open people you'll meet, but I'm worried now and she's only six. It's such an odd scenario. She'll always be 
my main thing in life, and she's around me much more than her mother. So how it'll be approached is perplexing. Listening to this particular show, though, gave me more confidence about it, regardless of it being an awkward situation. I may have missed a point somewhere in this email, but you've given me inspiration toward the inevitable. I also won't worry about what color lipstick she wants to wear. Ha ha. So thanks, Patrick, and good luck. You can totally do it. You can have the sex talk, and it'll be it'll be awkward, but she'll thank you for it in the long run. And if you have any messages to send our way, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. And to find links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one, with links to all of our sources so you can follow along as you listen, head on over to Stuff Mom Never Told You. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 